Grace, mercy, and peace of Christ Jesus rest upon each and every one of you this day. Amen. Amen. Be seated. St. John leaves little doubt as to what today's gospel lesson is all about. He tells us very plainly, this, the turning water into wine, was the first of Jesus' signs, his miracles, which he did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory. That's it. This first miracle of Jesus was intended to make his divine glory known. It was, and his disciples believed in him. Okay, so what exactly did they believe in? Wow, Jesus can do very cool and powerful tricks. He can turn plain old water into some awesome wine. Think of the possibilities. I'm going to have him at my next party. Do you think that is really the message John is trying to teach us here today? Do you think that is really what Jesus was going after here? As cut and dry as the miracle itself is, there is a whole lot we are missing here. First, consider the simple fact that this first miracle of Jesus takes place at a wedding reception. There is a reason for this. Jesus was not caught off guard. You see, God says very plainly throughout the Old Testament that the bride of Christ, Israel, will unite with her Messianic groom. The language and image of marriage fills the pages of the Old Testament. This is what Israel had been looking forward to, her bridegroom's arrival. God knew what he was doing in performing his very first miracle at a wedding reception. Jesus was not just going to a family wedding either. He is very purposely coming to his people, his beloved, as their messianic bridegroom. There is also the fact that the wine had run out at this particular wedding feast. Again, this was no accident, not from God's perspective at least. The Old Testament is filled with the language and imagery of a superabundance of wine with the arrival of the Messiah. We hear it in today's Old Testament lesson very plainly. God, speaking through Amos states that in that day, when the Messianic offspring of David arrives, there will be such abundance of wine that the mountains will be dripping with it and the hills will be flowing rivers of wine. God does not deal in Welch's grape juice or non-alcoholic wine, nor does he bring a cheap bottle of two-buck chuck. God brings his wine, the very best wine, and he brings mountains of it. Now, with all that in mind, we can begin to better understand what Jesus is doing here with this particular miracle. As we said before, Jesus was not caught off guard. This was all planned from before the foundation of the world. But what about his own response to his mom when she asked him to do something? What about the whole, my hour has not yet come? Again, this is where we are going to let scripture interpret scripture. We are going to let the scriptures explain what this means. Looking ahead to John chapters 12 and 13, right before the Last Supper on Monday, Thursday, Jesus states very plainly, Now the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. John will go on to tell us that Jesus was speaking of his death on the cross. 
That moment and hour and time when God fully revealed himself to all humanity as the all-redeeming sacrifice for sin. That moment and hour and time when he would manifest God's righteous wrath against sin and his unconditional love for his fallen and sinful creation. This is the hour Jesus was referring to when he tells his mother that it is not yet time. His hour has not yet come. Contrary to popular belief, Jesus did not capitulate to his mother's worried demands as if Jesus knew it was not yet time and he was going to, not going to help out. But mom guilted him into helping and showing some of his divine power ahead of schedule. As I said earlier, this first miracle and its attendant circumstances were all part of the plan from the get-go. Jesus was going to help all along, but this wedding and the miracle he was going to perform were not the end game. Jesus was not going to merely show that he could help somebody in a pinch or do some really cool magic tricks. No. This miracle from the very beginning was designed to point to something far greater, to the fact that the Messianic bridegroom had come to his bride. This miraculous wedding gift was designed to point to that specific hour when the bridegroom would give the greatest gift of all, the gift of himself as he laid down his life for his bride. Here is a point that needs to be fleshed out. Jesus makes a super abundance of wine. And I know you're all saying, we already know that. This is the whole point of the lesson. And sometimes we still miss what's right in front of us. I know that you can all do basic math associated with this lesson. John, you, Jesus used six own purification jars, each jar holding approximately 20 to 30 gallons. And each jar was filled to the brim meaning that Jesus turned about 120 to 180 gallons of water into wine. This is a super abundance of wine, and we understand that. What about the fact that Jesus worked this miracle with the same jars of water that were used to baptize in order to make ritually clean? Ritual purification commanded by the law. What about the fact that Jesus commanded those jars to be filled to overflowing? That is, no room left in the jar. More than that, Jesus used the very means these people needed for purification. If those jars are filled to the brim with wine, what are they going to use to get pure? There is nothing left. There is no room, and that is the whole idea. By way of this miracle, your messianic bridegroom was manifesting, that is, making crystal clear the fact that all the demands of the law were being fulfilled in him. The bridegroom who in his last hour would make full atonement for all of your sins and all the sins of all mankind for all time left nothing for you to do or to even worry about doing. It is finished. He said it and he meant it. Your Lord and Bridegroom was making crystal clear that he had come to his people. Now was the time to rejoice. Let the abundance of wine flow. 
The same goes for you today. Your heavenly bridegroom still comes to you today, and he brings the overflowing abundance of his victorious love and grace. He brings the joyous fruits of victory in superabundant and never-ending fashion. The wine flows, and it will flow for all eternity. Now is the time to rejoice. It is finished in Christ and because of Christ. All the demands of the law, all the demands and requirements for your righteous purity before God have been totally and completely fulfilled in him. God's righteous wrath was poured out in abundance on him, all so that you would not have to taste a single drop of it, not now and not ever. All of God's undeserved and unconditional grace, mercy, love, and peace was poured out on you in overflowing abundance for Christ's sake. The font shows this reality as you were baptized into Christ's death and resurrection. Through this altar and his holy Eucharist, the bridegroom quite literally comes to you to pour out the abundance of his victorious wine on you. Again, all the righteous demands of the law have been fulfilled totally and completely in him. There is nothing left for you to do. So we turn to the triune God with the sacrifice of thanksgiving. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits, his gifts to me? I will offer the sacrifice of thanksgiving and I will call upon the name of the Lord. That is it. And that is your reason to rejoice now and always. Your bridegroom has come, and he continues to come to you, bringing to you his overflowing abundance of grace, mercy, and peace. Let the wine of rejoicing flow. Your bridegroom is here, and just as he has promised, he will be with you to the very end of the age. This means everything to you. It is the height of your being through everything with which you are struggling. You all have your crosses to bear. You all have your worries and anxieties. You all stress and grieve and worry and struggle as you make your way through this veil of tears and shadowy darkness. But you have your bridegroom. You have your Emmanuel. He is with you now, and he will be with you always, just like he has always said. And at the end of the shadowy valley that is called life, there awaits your heavenly wedding banquet. No more tears, no more worries, no more sorrows, only joy. Super abundant, overflowing wine and joy and peace that surpasses all understanding. That is how God describes heaven, a never-ending wedding banquet where the very best wine flows in never-ending abundance where even the lees and the dregs of the wine are the choicest and best. You cannot even begin to wrap your brain around how awesome this will be. That is what awaits you and all those who live and die in the faith. Faith that holds fast to the bridegroom's victory. When understood in this beautiful Christ-centered light, it tends to put everything else into proper perspective doesn't it? What is the very worst thing that can happen to you? Death? 
you will wake up in heaven, seated at the feast table with your groom. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Until that blessed and joyous day, look no further than here. Look to and hold fast to your bridegroom, who is in your very midst. Come to the table he has already prepared for you. Come and partake in his superabundant and never-ending feast of grace, mercy, and peace, which he pours out today in your very midst. Come and rejoice for your bridegroom's glory and love are right here, manifested and revealed for all the world to see. May this manifest glory of your bridegroom give you everlasting and abundant joy and peace now and all your remaining days and into all eternity. In his name and to his glory. Amen. And so may the peace that surpasses all human understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus to life everlasting.